continuing in our series called The War, Living Life on the Front Lines. And we've covered a whole bunch of stuff, so I'm just going to quickly get us caught up, and then we're going to get into the new material this morning. So we've been talking about the spiritual battle and the war that we fight. And the difficulty about this war is it happens right in the middle of our lives, right where we live. And so we are living on the front lines of this battle. And so there are different fronts that we fight. We fight, of course, on the eternal life front. Did you know that through Christ, every human being on this planet is offered everlasting life, that they would not face destruction, but have eternal life in the paradise of God, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for them. That is accessible to everyone. I heard somebody say recently, God made this whole earth and this realm that we're in in six days. How long has he been working on the place that we're going to be able to go to? You know, (laughs) it could really be something, you know, Uh, I'm looking forward to it. But there are also people who are lost and separated from Christ who will who will find destruction and condemnation. And that's just unacceptable. We must fight to bring the gospel to the world, both to our neighbors and all across the world, however we possibly can. Because for me, if we were created for eternity and people miss that, people instead receive something rather quite terrible, we must fight to bring eternal life to this world. What's worth sacrificing for that? Well, that brings us into tension with the other front that we fight on, the front of Abundant life now. We are to grab hold of abundant life in Christ. Jesus says he came to bring us life, life to the full, life more abundantly. We read about all the blessings of God and the great things of God that we can enjoy today, right now. And so should we sacrifice everything for that front or should we, you know, like some people like, well, I'm going to live a I'm going to live it up and then at the end I'm just going to repent of everything and then I'll get into heaven too so I'll I'll be set, I'll win. Well, the reality is we can win on both fronts. If we're living the abundant life in Christ, then that makes evangelism a whole lot easier because if we're just miserable, you know, sick, broke, and grumpy, how are we going to reach the world with the good news of of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're not going to reach them because they're going to run away from us because we're, you know, not nice to be around. And they wouldn't want that. So if we are winning the abundant life front, it makes us more effective in winning the uh, eternal life front. So we're fighting on both fronts. And they're both worth fighting for. And so then we talked about who we fight against. We fight against the devil, the devil's schemes, the lies that we believe. We talked about how everyone is called to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, a law-abiding, productive citizen. But some people are called into service in a different way as missionaries, pastors, as soldiers in this battle. And so there are those who are called. uh, So... Many people are afraid to give their all to Christ because they think they're going to have to move to Africa. Well, very few people are called to sell all they own and move to Africa. A few are. 
But if it's not on your heart, it's not you. And so you don't have to worry about it. Uh, If you're called, you feel it and walk in that calling because the rest of your life is going to be dissatisfying unless you step into the call of God in that special way. Last week, we talked about maturing in the faith as we go through difficulties. Uh, You know, like there's an immature idea of abundant life. Like everything's going to go great now. The team is going to win every game. Somebody's going to give me a brand new truck. Everything's going to go fine. There's going to be no issues at all. Well, that's just a bunch of baloney. You know, we, we hit hard things in this life. And so how do we deal with that? And that's what we talked about last week, the maturing process. Very, very important to get to maturity. And I think as we, uh, oftentimes this scenario plays out, we start our life with Christ with a naive idealism. We're just so sure God is awesome and is fantastic and this is going to be great. And we're like in the parable of the sower, the seed that's sown on the, the shallow soil and pops up at first. I'm forgiven. I've got new life. God likes me and this is great. I'm going to live forever in the paradise of God. Woo! And then trouble and hardship comes. And that's unpleasant. And it can shake people. And they can either pull back and say, I didn't know this was going to be hard. But guess what? It's going to be hard. But God is great. Not serving God is hard too. In fact, I think it's even harder (laughs) than serving God. But it's still, there's difficulties in this life. And so we face these trials of many kinds. And we're to consider it pure joy because we can develop perseverance and then walk into maturity. So we go from Uh, from naive idealism into hardships and trials, and then we need to come out on the other side at mature idealism. And uh, the example I gave last week was, when I was a new pastor, I thought I had it all figured out. We were going to pray. We're going to worship God. We're going to preach the Bible. People are going to give their lives to Christ. We're going to work together and reach the community. Little did I know that was naive. There's nothing in there about liability insurance. There's nothing in there about organizational management. There's all these things. The budget's not in there. How to have a positive board culture. Those things were not in my plan. I had to learn all that stuff and figure out how this stuff actually works, but then get back to a mature idealism. So what are we going to do at Good Hope? We're going to pray and we're going to worship God and we're going to preach the Bible and people are going to give their lives to Christ and we're going to work together and we're going to reach this world and live abundant life. Amen? Amen. Amen. But we, we understand liability insurance and church budgets and how all these things work and how to make sure that the organization is managed so bad people don't take it over and all that stuff. Back to idealism, but a mature idealism. Not thinking, oh, we have to compromise to have success. Not thinking, yeah, nobody ever really loves Jesus. They just want something. And so if you don't give it, you know, not a tainted understanding. An idealism, but a mature idealism. This week, the full armor of God. Amen? We're going to talk about playing defense, having ourselves all set up. 
with the full armor of God. So let's pray and let's look at the defensive posture of the armor of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. I pray, Father, that you would bless this time. Each one of us is going through different things. We're in a different stage of the battle. We're, we're fighting on uh, different pieces of the battlefield. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need to be able to believe you better, to be able to serve you better, and to be able to have joy in our hearts. So, Lord, bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, we as believers aren't just left here to wander around and do the best we can. We are empowered and equipped by God to get the victory. Amen? We are empowered and equipped by God to get the victory. Now, this is one of those things, too, that can be the naive idealism. God's going to, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And then you just sort of let it sit. And then you don't develop the skills. You've got to fight through that. But you've got to get to a, a mature idealism with regards to the power of God. Because he expects us to do some things. But we need him to do things and to provide things for us at the same time. And so we want to grab hold of the empowerment of God. And so this is my first point that I want you to get. And if you get it, that would be great. Uh, If you already know it, fantastic. But God empowers believers. So we need the power of God upon us. We need to seek God for his empowerment. And let's go to Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 to be able to just give an example of this. So Jesus has risen from the grave. He's hanging out, talking to his disciples. He's about to ascend into the clouds and he has a little conversation. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So you think our political climate is bad. Back then, they had somebody else inhabiting their land and running the government for them. They didn't even own their own country. And so the disciples are like, you're going to kick out the Romans, right? Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Which is just his way of saying, we're not going to deal with that right now. There's something else going on. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. They wouldn't be different people, but they would receive power. We can be the same people and receive power. Be empowered by God to succeed in what he has called us to do. So we want to walk in the empowering and equipping of God for the fight that we have in front of us. One of the ways that we are empowered is by putting on the full armor of God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And this week we're going to focus more on the defensive strategies 
the defensive parts of the armor of God. And then next week we're going to get into more of the offense, the ways of moving forward and taking ground uh, by the empowerment of God. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and read through the... uh, the armor of God section in Ephesians, and let's uh, see what we can get from it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Stand on your own and do the best you can. No, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. That means there are things that we just let Him do, that we Let God do through us. If you're a person of prayer, you know when God answers prayer, it wasn't you. You get to pray and God's hand moves when his people pray. But you know you didn't do it. It was God. So we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we want to be able to take our stand against the devil's schemes in order to be able to do that. If you were here for the devil's scheme week, uh, week two of this series, it was a bludgeoning of a sermon. You know what I mean? Like we just did scheme after scheme and it was a harsh one. But in the long run, it will do you good. You'll be happy that you know about those schemes because then when you're getting tripped up by one, you're like, oh, it's the enemy. Um, But we want to be able to take our stand. We don't want to fall and there's something we need to do. We need to put on the full armor of God. There's a difference between hearing a sermon about the full armor of God and putting on the full armor of God. There's a difference between appreciating the full armor of God, being able to list these six things in the armor of God versus putting on the armor of God. And so we're going to look at how to put on the full armor of God. And so let's keep going. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So is our struggle against flesh and blood? No. This is one of the devil's schemes. To get us to destroy the captives rather than set the captives free. Do not hate the captives. Do not be angry at the captives. Set the captives free. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now I, I know when I don't understand something. And there's a lot of words in there I would like to have clearer definitions of. But let me tell you, basically what this means is there's spiritual evil out there. There's demons, the devil, that sort of thing. And then there's just sort of like other evil out there, like pride and jealousy and, and these dark things. But they aren't demons, you know, but we fight against them too. But we're not fighting against people. We set people free. We bring the gospel to people, the love of God to people who have never been loved in their life, who have only seen a harsh world that they have to fight against. We don't fight against them, we fight for them. We fight against hate and bitterness and pride and those types of evils and against demonic attacks and the devil and his plan. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So this is twice. Who puts on the armor of God? Each one of us individually. 
It's nobody else's responsibility. I have to put the armor of God on for me. You have to put the armor of God on for you. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Notice also, it doesn't say just in case maybe a day of evil comes. <laughs> so that when the day of evil comes, and I don't think this means that for each of us there's one day. I think it means that we will be facing difficulties. We know we will face the day of evil and we will, some will face it a lot over and over and over. Some will face it quite a bit. Everyone will face the day of evil. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. So let's read through the rest quickly. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So here, Paul implores the the people of Ephesus, the church there, to be people of prayer and to put on this armor of God. So let's look at a few of these pieces of the armor of God. The first one we see in Ephesians 6.14 is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Listen to me. If you get anything out of this sermon, get this. Love the truth. We live in a culture that does not love the truth. We love catchphrases that we can get upset about. We love misinformation. We love, you know, it's like gossip on social media form or even media form. But it isn't loving the truth. We're not trying to find out the actual truth. We're just trying to, you know, I'm, I'm personifying the culture. I'm sure it's not true for any of you. Uh, but what, we, what people seem to like is a, a, a sentence that gets them all riled up. And it's probably not even true. Maybe it's a little bit true. But, you know, like understanding political realities takes a lot of time. You know, and, and people, they got 30 seconds. You get me in, indignant in 30 seconds or I'm shutting you off. You know, I mean, that's, that's where we're at. That's not loving the truth. That's loving the high of the emotional reaction of being all upset about stuff. We must love the truth. And in order to love the truth, too, we need to not put on airs and not pretend. You know, not everything is everybody's business, right? So if you're going through a trial, that doesn't mean you have to tell it to everybody. But the reality is, we also can't pretend everything's fine and not share our difficulties and struggles with the people around us. So uh, we need to be people of truth. And in fact, if we're going to take our stand against the devil's schemes, we need to be people of truth. This is really, really important, that we're people of truth that we love the truth, that we live the truth, that we order ourselves around truth. 
Very important that we put on the belt of truth. How you doing? Feeling good? I'll try to tell, make people a little bit happy. Uh, we're, but the, the verses that came were verses that are like warning us against not connecting with the truth. And so we need to understand that there are consequences for not loving the truth. And so let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Last week, uh, when we were looking at the parable of the sower, there was a little bit in there where Jesus said, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. And so we talked about how God seems to be hiding to a certain extent. He could just write Jesus as Lord with the stars, and then we'd all know, and it would be pretty hard to argue against that. But there, Jesus spoke in parables, and we can interpret this world and this life in different ways. And, and uh, so that's an interesting thing, and, and the, the deeper explanation of that is here in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to love the truth. Now the truth is sometimes inconvenient. It can be painful because we don't want it to be true, but it just is. It can be boring and not all that much fun. But for whatever reason... These refuse to love the truth, so they perish. But let's continue. If we need God's help, what would happen if God was against us? And in every... Okay, verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Have you read that one before? What, 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 what? (laughs) How... How are you going to be able to find the truth if God is sending you delusions? That's bad news. And now, the next verse is even worse. Verse 12, so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. How'd that get in the Bible? Here's the deal. When we draw close to God, God draws close to us. And he shows us things of of him and reveals great mysteries to us. And it's wonderful and glorious and beautiful. And when we push him away and we hate the truth, what happens to us then? We get lost and confused and fade off into the distance and God helps with that process. It's a form of judgment. We want to love the truth. Because then he will show us more truth. If we push away, it's not good. It's not good. So seek the truth. Not what's entertaining or what falls in your favor or fits your personality, itches your ears. Love the truth. A lot of truth is boring. Did you know that? You want to be healthier. 
You know the answer. Eat right and exercise. The health industry is a billion dollar industry on how to be healthy without eating right and exercising. Guess what? You want to be healthy, eat right and exercise. You want to be making financial gains. Let me tell you the boring truth. Spend less than you make. It's another huge industry all based on how can I live a life like I'm making twice as much as I am. Well, guess what? It just doesn't work that way. It's boring, but it's true. Don't spend more than you make. Eat right and exercise. It's not that exciting. But we need to love the truth and put it on. Walk in the truth. All right. The breastplate of righteousness. Back to Ephesians 6.14. The breastplate of righteousness. So we put on the belt of truth. And we put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this is another one where there's a boring truth in it. You want to see some boring truth? Let's go to 1 John 3, 7. This is amazing stuff. 1 John 3, 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So, in order to be doing right, you have to do right. That's pretty straightforward, right? If we want to be righteous, which means that we're doing the right thing, then we have to do the right thing. Pretty simple. Now, there can be religious shortcuts and easy buttons that people want to press so that they can be righteous and not do the right thing. But the reality is, if you want to be righteous, you have to do the right thing. Now, there is forgiveness, there's redemption, there's patience with God. But we can be forgiven and set free from our past so that then we can do the right thing in the future. Not so that we can continue to do the wrong thing and somehow be clothed in Christ's righteousness. No, if we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, then we walk in doing the right thing. Best as we can. Do right. Now, this one gets kind of harsh as it goes. Let's go to verse 8. 1 John 3, 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil... Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So Jesus came so that people wouldn't be stolen from. So that people wouldn't be lied to. So that people wouldn't be taken advantage of. So that people wouldn't be hurt by other people's evil. Jesus came so that we would do the right thing. And we'd be set free from the shame of our past and the guilt that was on us so that we could be freed from it to walk into doing the right thing. Verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. 
Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Well, that's pretty, pretty strong, you know. And there's, again, there's forgiveness. We hear absolutely. There's forgiveness. There's redemption. God is patient. God loves us where we're at and helps us to make progress. But the reality is, if we want to do right, if we want to be righteous, we have to do the right thing. So here's the first two parts of the armor of God. Be a person of truth and do the right thing. Is that super complicated? Not too complicated. What if every Christian on the planet committed to this? I'll be a person of truth. I'm not going to say things that are deceiving and deceptive. I'm not going to be infatuated with and believe things that aren't really true. And just said, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do the right thing. This would be a lot more inconvenient. Or, I'm sorry, a lot more convenient, but this is the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. Man, oh man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? The world would be a different place. And these are the things that protect us from the devil's schemes. Being a person of truth. Being a person who does the right thing. They protect us in the times of difficulty. The shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16. Let's read that one. In addition to all this, so we're going a little bit out of order. Again, next week we'll talk about more offense. This time is defense. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, wouldn't it be nice to be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows, all the fiery darts of the enemy? Wouldn't that be great? How many people have been hit by a fiery dart of the enemy? (laughs) Ah. Sometimes I feel like my shield of faith is about this big. You know, like you just sort of like, you can't quite get all of them and trying to get it to catch stuff. I want a shield of faith, it's, you know, like, like the igloo of faith. You know, I want to be inside and I'm just protected on all sides. That'd be great. Take up the shield of faith. Now this shield of faith isn't talking about how much you expect something to happen. It's talking about how much you trust God in your situation. So faith is trusting God, not really, really expecting something to happen. Of course, if we trust God, we'll expect certain things to happen. All right. This shield of faith, it can be all messed up in how people understand faith if they're not happy with truth and um, willing to do the right thing. So if we're settled on truth and doing the right thing, then faith won't be distorted. But a lot of times faith gets all weird and stuff because we're, we're not people of truth and we're not trying to do the right thing. We're just wanting this for ourselves. And it gets messed up. The faith thing gets messed up. I'm a huge fan of faith. Faith in God. Believing and trusting in God. Amen. Faith submits to God. Faith trusts God and believes God. 
If I want my shield of faith to get bigger, I need more faith. Jesus would say to people, you of little faith. Remember Peter? He got out of the boat, started walking on the water. Nobody else did that. Just Jesus and Peter. That's very, very impressive. Peter starts to sink. Jesus grabs him and says, Dah, where's your faith? You know, like, like, ah, like, but if he had more faith, he wouldn't have sank. How many times if we just trusted God more, would we have not shrank back and let the thing fall apart? But we'd have been able to walk through the storm and believe God on the other side, this is going to get better. How do you get more faith? How do you get the shield bigger? Romans 10, 17 is the secret to that. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You might remember the the King James, the word of God. But in the Greek, it's anointed one. It's, It's Christ. Faith comes from hearing the message. So here's the deal. We don't conjure up faith. We don't think, okay, I want my finances to work. So we're going to want my finances to work. That's not how it, how it goes. We have to have our faith in God, not our faith in some expectation. And so if we're going to put our faith in God, we need to hear the message. We need to know what God says. We need to know God's word, God's truth, and then we can trust it. And so faith comes by hearing. We've got to hear it. We've got to hear the right things. We've got to hear the truth of God. Let's practice this with Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You may have a, uh, a shield of faith with regards to Walking in anxiety in this life. How many people sometimes have anxiety issues? Yeah, sometimes you're like, ah! Check this out. We can get that, that shield of faith of the fiery dart of anxiety bigger. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> yeah. Once again, the easier said than done category. Okay, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be anxious. I guess I'm fine now. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So here is a strategy. How do we not be anxious? Well, by prayer and petition, we need to present our requests to God, and we need to work on being thankful. You can find something to be thankful for. Focus on thankfulness, and then, by prayer and petition, Present your requests to God. So if you're walking in truth, you're doing the right thing, now it's time to to find things to be thankful for and pray and present things to God. And verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, As I read this verse, it's amazing. It's not talking about the circumstances. It's talking about your heart and your mind. It doesn't say anything about the circumstance getting easier. It says your heart will be guarded and your mind will be guarded. As we are thankful and as we pray, present our requests to God. So, if I'm somebody who's trying to fight this battle and I need my shield bigger, 
I need to hear those two verses over and over and over again. I need to memorize them so that I can repeat them in my mind. I sometimes like to say verses out loud. That's weird if other people are around. But I find it very helpful if I'm by myself to say them out loud. Sometimes even shout verses out loud. But again, I only do that when there aren't other people around. Because they think, you know, you're in Walmart, you know, screaming verses. You might get hauled away. It'd be a bad thing. But... Let's just read those two again, six and seven. And again, let's, so like if, if your anxiety shield of faith is this big for those fiery darts, maybe it gets to here just this morning. And then maybe by tomorrow it can be this big. And pretty soon you can be able to grab that peace even in the middle of the storm. Do not be anxious about anything. Every time I see a verse like that, I take it as a promise. It is attainable to not be anxious about anything. It can happen. If I grab hold of the fullness of God, I cannot be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. And then at the same time, don't feel guilty if you're still anxious. Don't expect everybody else to not be anxious, right? We love each other through this process. Don't pretend. Don't have a a ridiculous expectation that all of a sudden now everything's perfect. You know, we can be way over in this ditch or way over in that ditch. Let's deal with reality. Let's love the truth. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We do that, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we trust in that, when we have faith in that, when we submit to verse 6, we can start to walk in verse 7 and have the peace of God. And then, in order to get that shield of faith bigger, choose to walk by faith when you are wavering. Seems like some days I've got two, you know, there's two doors. Do I go in door number one or door number two? This door is the door of fear, and I can walk by fear and be afraid of the things that are in front of me and just sort of hope maybe God will bail me out, or I can walk in faith. Believing God's got a good plan, and if I stay connected with Him, He'll see me through it. And there's faith, and there's fear. Which one am I going to choose? I make a conscious decision to choose to walk by faith. And so, we learn the promises, and then we choose to walk by faith. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute, but we've got one more defensive uh, armament And that is the helmet of salvation. So, so far, belt of truth, love the truth, walk in the truth. Did you know that lying is the devil's native language? So when we lie, we are speaking the devil's language. Don't Don't be a person of untruth, be a person of truth. And the breastplate of righteousness, when we're doing the right thing as best as we know how, it guards our heart. Then we get that shield of faith. Man, we're starting to be able to stand our ground. How about the helmet of salvation? The helmet of salvation. If you were going into a battle, how scared would you be if you knew you couldn't die? That would take a lot of the anxiety out of it, wouldn't it? How about this? How scared of the battle would you be 
if you knew your friends and the ones that you loved couldn't die either. This helmet of salvation is a big deal. Because as we put on the helmet of salvation, we know there are trials in this life. And the fullest extent of it, of course, is if we're to lose this life. But the helmet of salvation means that we have abundant life in eternal life in Christ, even if we lose this one. And that's, and not to break the news to you too harsh, but none of us are getting out of this thing alive anyway. And so when we put on the helmet of salvation, we know there's nothing the enemy can do but make the transition a little more difficult. But we have everlasting life in Christ. If I have that for me and the ones I love and care about and my friends are walking in that same thing, oh, that's security. And that's a solid rock. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, a few verses in there, starting in verse 3. And let's get Peter's heart with this. Because I think he's, he's having a moment with God here. And he's sharing something really important. 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think Peter is praising God. He's not saying that because it's a normal salutation or something. He's saying... Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the Peter who denied Jesus because he was afraid of people. And here he sees Jesus is risen from the dead. And we can get in on that too. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's saying... We've got a hold of something that no one can take away. Kept in heaven for you. Who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Shielded by God's power against destruction. Will not perish, but receive everlasting life. In this you greatly rejoice. Amen. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Let's let's read the next verse and finish it out. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This helmet of salvation guards us against even the darkest attacks of the enemy because we know that Satan, in all his schemes, cannot take away the everlasting life that God has given us. We are shielded by his power. And so let's pray.
And if you're thinking to yourself, I don't feel shielded by God's power. I'm not filled with this inexpressible joy because I know I have salvation. Then come and pray with the prayer teams. And they'll get you there. You can ask for forgiveness to be brought into the kingdom of God. You become a child of God. And you have an inheritance. And then any other prayer need, physical need, financial need, relational need, uh, any kind of need, come get prayer. God's hand moves when his people pray. Let's pray together first, and then I'll open the front up for personal prayer. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in your ways and to put on the full armor of God. Let us put on truth. Let us put on righteousness. Let us put on faith. And Lord, let us put on that helmet of salvation. It's there, available for everyone, if we put it on. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us the areas that we need to grow in, the things we need to put on better, so that we can take our stand against the enemy's schemes. And Lord, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, I pray your peace and your joy would be in us and overflow through us into this world so that your love may be known by everyone on this planet. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.